The phrase shaken, not stirred is a phrase out of the early James Bond movies by Ian Fleming. The phrase shaken, not stirred refers to how James Bond wanted his martinis prepared. The first time James Bond ordered a martini shaken and not stirred was in, and I had to look this up, yes, I'm not this old, 1958 in the movie Dr. No. So he orders a martini, goes up to the bar, he orders a a martini shaken but not stirred. The question is, is there a difference? Is, is, Is there any difference in a shaken and not stirred martini? Well, there is a biochemistry department at a Canadian university that conducted a study to see if there is a difference between a shaken and a stirred martini. And evidently, scientifically, there is a difference in the antioxidant levels between a shaken and a stirred martini. A shaken martini has less antioxidant levels. In the... the, more recent Bond movie, Skyfall, a bartender prepares us and serves a shaken martini to Bond, to which he replies, perfect. Now, I don't know if having his martini shaken and not stirred has kept James Bond in a more nimble capacity to save the world from devastation and destruction. That is certainly a possibility. What I do know is that regardless of the best way to prepare a martini, the best way for a Christian to be ready in these last days is to be not shaken, but stirred. Not shaken, but stirred. In these last days, there is and there will be plenty that could shake us and shake our faith. But we must be not shaken. We need to be unshakable. And we need to be stirred up in the fruit of the Holy Spirit as well, which is the love of God. In 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a new church. And these Christians are young in the faith, in their faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul is a little worried. He's concerned that the persecution and the trial that they are going through, that they are experiencing might shake them from their new faith in Jesus Christ. So what does Paul do? He sends Timothy to go check on them. He sends Timothy to check on them and to encourage them in their faith. And when Timothy returns to Paul with a good report about their faith, Paul then in turn writes them this letter, 1 Thessalonians. In the third chapter... Paul specifically deals with the trial and trouble that they are going through because of their faith in Jesus. And he wants to help them deal with what they're going through in a godly way, in in the way of faith. To help them stay committed to their faith in Jesus Christ. There are three things that every Christian needs to realize in order to continue in their faith in these last days and these trying days to be without waver. In the third chapter of Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul gives the Thessalonians and us principles for living a strong, unshakable, 
an enduring life of faith in Jesus Christ. Could your faith use a little encouragement this morning? I know my faith needs to be encouraged from time to time. And today is going to be one of those times of just us being encouraged in our faith. So let's take a look at these principles for a strong, unshakable faith for the last days. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. You are appointed to affliction. Let's pick it up in 1 Thessalonians 3. Let's pick it up, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it has happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Paul and his co-laborers, those that were working with Paul in his ministry, were in Athens at this particular time. And Paul was very concerned with the Thessalonian Christians because he knew that they were going through some trials, some tribulations, some persecution. And if you know from the, you know, the history that Luke lays out in the book of Acts, you know that Paul was only uh, with them in Thessalonica for a very short time to establish the church there. So he was concerned. And, and he knew the kind of tribulations and trials that they were enduring because of their faith. And in fact, he mentions those trials all the way through his letter. And he told them that they were going to go through these kinds of persecutions as Christians and that they were going through similar persecutions as to those uh, Christians that were in Judea, the Christians in the Jerusalem church, were also going through tremendous uh, trials and tribulations. So knowing they were going through these tremendous hardships, he decided to send Timothy to them to check up on them. So he sends Timothy. Timothy was uh, Paul's co-worker in the ministry. And, and Paul would later appoint Timothy as a pastor of the church in Ephesus. But for now, he was Paul's companion and fellow worker in the ministry. And so he sends him back to Thessalonica to check on the church, to check on the Christians to see how they were doing. So Timothy goes to Thessalonica to check on the believers there. And Paul wanted to know one thing, if they were indeed continuing in their faith in Jesus Christ, and, 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 and his, his prayer was they had not given up, that they had not given up on the faith. So Paul sends Timothy to establish and encourage them in the faith. Look at that. In verse 2, he says, and send Timothy, our brother, a minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. So Paul sends Timothy to establish and encourage them in the faith. The word there that Paul uses for establish is the word sterazzo. And it means to, to make stable, to place firmly, to set fast, to fix, to strengthen, 
to make firm, to render constant, to confirm one's mind. So, so Paul is wanting the Christian believers to be fixed, for their foundation to be made firm, for them to be firmly planted and made stable and strengthened. And, 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 and this is what we need in our lives. We need to, to, to be established, to be fixed, to, to be strengthened in our, in our, in our faith and, and in our mind and in our spirits. You see, Paul is wanting them to be established in the, in the faith and he knows they need to be stable. They need to be placed firmly uh, in their faith. They need to know that they are fixed on the rock of Christ Jesus. And that's what we need to know. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that when Jesus Christ saved you, he picked you up out of the miry clay, out of the slippery, sloppy foundation of the miry clay, and he put your foot upon a rock, a rock of salvation, and that rock is Jesus Christ. And Christian, do you know this morning that you're firmly planted on the rock of Jesus Christ? This is what is going to, to make you firmly established in the faith. Now look at verse 3 there. He says that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. So he wants Timothy to establish them, to fix them in the face so that they can't be shaken. But what is it that Paul's worried about? What specifically is Paul worried about? He's worried that the afflictions that they're going through that these believers in Thessalonica are going through could possibly shake them from their faith. They're going through tremendous persecution for believing Christ. Have you ever experienced persecution for believing Christ, for being a Christian, for standing up for your faith in Christ? That's what was happening to the church in Thessalonica, and it was happening all over, and specifically in the church in Judea, in Jerusalem as well. So there was a tremendous affliction in the, com the Jewish community that was now a believing community, believing upon Christ. And there was probably this affliction went all the way into their homes. Now, there is a thing called the sword of Christ. Are you familiar with this? There's the sword of Christ. In Matthew 10, verse 34, Jesus said this, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, you, you stop right there for a second. You go, wait, 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 wait. If you're not familiar with this verse, you're kind of like, wait a second. This goes against everything that I thought Christ came to do. Didn't he come to, didn't the angels sing on the night that he was born? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Wait a second. What is Jesus now talking about? Well, let's continue reading. Matthew 10, pick it up. The next verse in 35. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life 
for my sake will find it. Wow. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the reality that when you take a stand for Christ, when you make a decision in your life and you say, I'm going to believe Christ, I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to follow after Jesus, that there is potential to cause division in relationships and in family. And what God is doing here, what Jesus is doing here, is he's setting our relationship with Christ above all other uh, things in our life, even family, even family. And so this is what he says, it's, it's, it's been called the sword of Christ. There, there's a sword of division because you have to make a decision about where you stand with Christ. And once you do that, that potential for persecution, for division, for, for relationships being strained, it's there. And Jesus finishes up what he's saying there. He says, he who finds his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So when you trust your life to Christ, when you put your full faith in Christ, you have found it no matter what else you may have lost. No matter what else you may have lost. No matter what other persecutions might be happening in your life, you have found your life in Christ. Amen? And that, that strain, that persecution can bring a certain affliction in people's lives. And some can't handle it. Some cannot handle it. I have a question for you, Christian, this morning. What is it that can shake you? What is it that can shake you? Can you be shaken? Most of us would like to boast and say, no, I, I'm, I've got an uns uh, unshakable strength. But there are things that could happen in our lives that could shake us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I don't know if you've ever put yourself through that type of an exercise, putting yourself in, in your mind in certain situations, and maybe it's situations that you've seen other people go through, and you say, what would I do in that situation? How would I respond? Because we've seen different things, different people involved in very trying times and the things that people go through. So what is it that can shake you? Is the circumstance that you're going through going to get the best of you? Is it going to get you or is your faith strong? Are you standing firm on the rock of Christ Jesus? Is your God bigger than the mountains in your life? Is your God bigger than the strongholds in this world? Is the Lord that you serve, is he bigger than the afflictions? Is he bigger? God wants your faith in him to be unshakable. And when we put our faith in him and we realize who he is, that he's the Lord, that he's God, and that he's bigger than all these things, that he's the God of, that created heaven and earth, and put all this into motion, that we can trust him and that we can be unshakable in our faith. Now, one thing that helps, helps is to know that we have been appointed to affliction. Look at that. In verse 3, he says that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it has happened 
and you know. And so Paul is telling them, there's, there's, you're going through persecutions, they're going through afflictions, and by the way, we told you. <laughs> we told you that this was going to happen. I mean, we, we told you. I mean, when, when someone comes preaching a gospel that's a primrose path and a bowl of cherries, you can just be sure to know that that's not the full gospel. Amen. That's not the full story. That's not the full picture. Because if you read your New Testament, you read your Bible, you know that it's not always a primrose path. There's some great things that happen. God picks you up out of that miry clay and puts your foot upon a rock. You know, he, he does, there are things, there's joy unspeakable. There's all these things in our lives. There's a peace that passes understanding. But, the, but there's also trial. There's also tribulation. There's also affliction. And Paul says here to the Thessalonians, we, we're appointed to this. We're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. We're going to endure persecutions. Now, I know this is exact opposite of what, the prosperity preacher is going to tell you. And, and, and I, I guess if I'm being real harsh, I might say, well, he's lying. But let me just say it this way. He's not telling you the whole truth. He's not telling you the whole truth. Paul says here to the Thessalonians, you were appointed to this. We were appointed to this. We told you we were going to go through tribulation. Right? So, not telling people about this is, I, th I think, dangerous. I think it's dangerous. We need to be told. Jesus himself said, our Lord and Savior said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. That's the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is, yeah, there's going to be tough times, but I've overcome the world. Amen. So I want to tell you the truth this morning. To put your full faith and trust in God. And, and come what may, I'm going to stand upon the rock of, of, of Jesus in my salvation. Amen? We have a hope, and it is this. God is going to see us through the affliction and tribulation brought upon us by the world. We have just need, we just need to trust God completely. Just put your trust in him. Just believe. Just believe. Now, I'm not talking to you to ascend to a cognitive idea that God is. Yes, he who would seek the Lord must you know, believe that he is, right? And that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. But, but, but trusting in God is, is bringing your full trust, your full allegiance into the Lord. Amen? And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Paul's saying that we've been appointed to affliction, to suffering. Suffering in the Christian life teaches us obedience and discipline. You say, I don't believe it. I don't think a Christian should suffer. Well, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, and he suffered. So do you somehow think that you're above Christ? That you're above your master? That you're above your teacher? Jesus Christ suffered. This is what the, the way the writer of Hebrews put it in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting 
for him, for whom all things, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. What's that? It was fitting to bring many sons. Are you one of the sons being brought to glory? Well, then it was fitting for the captain of the salvation to, to, to go through suffering, to bring many sons to glory. And then he goes on, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5, verse 8, he says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who believe him. Amen? And so Paul reminds them, we told you this would happen, and we want you to be unshakable in your faith. So let's move on to the next point. You will be comforted by faith. Let's go back to the text, pick it up, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy which we rejoice for your sakes before God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. You will be comforted by faith. Timothy went to Thessalonica. He encouraged them in their faith and he returned to Paul and Timothy relayed to Paul the good news about the faith of the believers in Thessalonica. So what does Paul say here? He says, Timothy brought us the good news. Timothy brought us the good report about what? About your faith and love. The good report was that they continued in faith and that they had love. Timothy brought us the good news about your faith in love. Now, if you want to do a quick diagnosis, if you want a, a quick check about how you're doing, about how your faith is, you need to take a look at two things. You need to look at your faith and your love. How, how is your faith? Are you believing and trusting in God? And do you see love increasing and abounding more and more in your life? Amen? John Calvin put it this way on these two words here in this text. He said this, In these two words, Paul states concisely the sum total of godliness. All who aim at this double mark are beyond the danger of error for the whole of their life. Wow. That's a pretty, that's a pretty big time statement. And so that kind of brings some, uh, you know, just some importance to this diagnosis. How's your love? How's your faith? And how is your love? Paul was encouraged that they desired to see him. Not only did they have faith, not only were they increasing in love, but they communicated that they wanted to see Paul, that they wanted to, to see him again. It was, it was so encouraging that Paul says we were comforted. We were comforted. Timothy brought this good word, this great report of your faith and your love, and, and, and we were comforted. We were encouraged. Just to hear that you were still living for Christ, just to hear that you're, that you're still believing, that you're still, you still have all your hope in Christ, that, that, that you, you still are in that position. We were encouraged. 
we were encouraged. The Greek word here for encourage is the, is the word parakaleo. And it's actually from the word where that talks about the comforter, the Holy Spirit being the comforter. And it's, 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 it's kind of the job, one of the job descriptions of the Holy Spirit is that he's called alongside us to comfort us and encourage us. And that's a good question too. Do you, Christian, this morning, do you have the Holy Spirit present? Has, has, are you filled with the Holy Spirit in the sense that you're being encouraged by the Spirit? Because that's one of the things that he's going to do in your life. And, and when you're lacking encouragement in your life, perhaps it's a sign that you've got your eyes fixated uh, on, 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 on wrong things around you, not necessarily wrong things, but distractions, distracted, and you need to focus on the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to encourage you because that's what he wants to do. And, and Paul says that, that, that they were encouraged by the faith of the Thessalonican Christians. They were greatly uh, encouraged. In fact, Paul goes further by saying that because of the news of your faith, we live. We're alive. This news has, has so encouraged it. We live for that. We live for this. Amen. Paul's life was dedicated to seeing others profess and continue faith in Jesus Christ. He wasn't motivated by passing pleasures. He didn't live for superficial things. He lived for others living spiritually. He lived for others living spiritually. Just think about that. When he saw other people that had come into faith in Christ and that they were living in Christ, that they were living spiritually, that's what he lived for. I live. I live. I'm alive because of this situation. People talk about what might make them die. There are certain things that we, you know, we, and we say it in jest. We say it in joke. Now, if there's, if, you know, when we get to the restaurant, if they run out of this, you know, I'm going to die. Or, you know, I may, I may have said a thing or two in the past, like, if I get home and there's no Diet Coke, I'm going to die. You know, now it's actually fresca. It's actually, I found this during the quarantine. This is, uh, it's, it's peach citrus fresca, and this is absolutely the bomb. And... I'm going to die if I don't find it in the beverage fridge. We talk like this, and it's, a, it's kind of funny. It's kind of a joke. But Paul is saying, when we heard about your faith that you were still believing, we were alive. Now, I have a question for you. What makes you alive? What makes you alive? Is it superficial things? Or is it knowing that you're living spiritually and those around you are living spiritually and that you're seeing people encouraged in their faith in Jesus Christ? And I believe in these last days we need to align what encourages us to the things of the word, to the things of God. Because you can, you can allow superficial things to encourage you, you know, I mean, seriously, there's the smallest little things that can be encouraging, you know? Like you go to the freezer and there's, you know, a little bit of ice cream left in that tub of ice cream. That, oh, I'm encouraged, you know? But what I'm talking about is aligning what encourages us to the things of the Lord, to the things of the Word. Kind of like, I was thinking about this, you know, kind of like when you get new printer cartridges, 
and you have to go through this whole process of aligning the cartridges. Now, don't, I wish that they would make a printer that just self-aligns the cartridges when you have to change them. I mean, I mean, this is 2020, and we still have to align the printer cartridges? I mean, this is crazy. But what we need to do is we need to align our spirit with the things of God. And, and, and what makes us alive is those things that are in line with the Word of God. And instead of feeling like we're dying, we're going to feel like we're living. We're living, just like Paul says here. What is it that encourages you, Christian? What is it that encourages you? Align to godly spiritual things, and you will be encouraged and blessed. The faith of the Thessalonians has brought so much encouragement that it has resulted for Paul in joy and a reason for thanksgiving and praise. That's the other thing that it's going to bring about in your life. When you align what brings you joy to the things of God, what makes you alive, what encourages you to the things of God and to the things of his word, not only are you going to feel alive, you're going to, have, you're going to become a person of praise and, and of thanksgiving because you've got so much to thank Jesus for. You've got so much to thank God for. Amen? And the, one of the most important things that we could ever become in our lives is a thankful person. Amen? Amen. And lastly this morning, you will be made blameless by love. Let's pick it up, verse 11. Paul says this, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that we, he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. Paul finishes this section with what is really a prayer for the Thessalonians. Paul has a prayer for these believers that shows us the key to spiritual life in the last days. And what is it? Love. Love. Do you want to be happy? The answer to that question is most, most people want to be happy, and I'm sure that there's, a, there's a small little percentage of people out there that say, no, I don't want to be happy. I just want to be miserable. You know? I just... Yeah, most people want to be happy. Well, one of the things that you learn when you go through the scripture is this, that holiness leads to happiness. Holiness leads to happiness. And the fast track to holiness is love. How's that? Jesus said the key to the whole law and the prophets was love. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. So in looking to those two great commandments is going to lead us into a path of living for the Lord, of, of right living, of holiness, of 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 doing what's right, of acting what's right, of thinking right towards others and towards God. And that is going to bring an unbelievable amount of happiness. Amen? 
That is going to bring an unbelievable amount of happiness in our lives when we love God with all of our hearts and we love our neighbors as ourselves. Paul's prayer to God for the Thessalonians is that they would increase and abound in love. No matter where you are in your walk with Christ, there's always room to increase when it comes to love. God wants you increasing in love. In fact, really, God wants you so increasing that you're kind of like, you know, somebody put the water on in the tub and walked away and said, yeah, I'm going to run me a bath. I mean, I don't do this. Mary Jo runs herself a bath. But, you know, you're going to go draw yourself a bath. I guess I don't know how you draw, draw yourself a bath, but evidently that's how you do it. You draw a bath. And, and so you're going to go draw a bath, and, and, and I'm sure from time to time some people have forgotten what's going on, and they forget that the water's running, and they come back, and the tub is just filling over into the floor in the bathroom. And this is how Jesus wants us. He wants us overflowing, amen? To, be, to abound in love is to literally overflow and, 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 and just constantly having that overflow, that overflow of love. So, you know, maybe you're here and you got, you know, you, you, know, you got that, you turn the water on and it's like, where's the water? And it's like, you know, this old faucet, outside faucet or something that's hadn't been turned on for 20 years or something. You turn it on. Is there any water coming out of here? You know, some of you may be like that this morning. And God wants to rush through the center of your spirit this morning with the living water of his Holy Spirit and a mighty rushing wind and blow through you in such a way that the, the love of Jesus comes through you and just becomes to pour out of your heart. That's what Jesus taught. Out of your inmost being will run liver, rivers of living water. Amen? And so this is what God wants for us. He wants us to abound in love. Abounding in love is overflowing. When God declared his name and his presence to Moses, he told him that that's who he is, that he abounds in love. In fact, the text is this, Exodus 34, verse 6, he says this, it says this, the Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so God says to Moses, you want to see me? You want to show, this is the passage where God, where Moses says, I want to see you. I want to see you, God. I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. You know, we sing a song, show, show us your glory. Show us your glory, God. Okay, so God shows Moses his glory and says, this is who I am. He declared his name before Moses. I'm, I'm, I'm slow to anger and I'm abounding in steadfast love. And so because God abounds in love, he wants us to abound in love. Amen. The apostle John really makes this point in his epistle in 1 John 4 verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, John says, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Jesus stretches the bounds of this kind of love. Amen? Jesus 
just when you think, okay, now we're, we're stretching the bounds of the love that God is talking about. He's not talking about, oh, well, I, I, love, I love all the people in my little family and my, and, and my dog, and, and, and we have a dog now, and I have to bring this up in the message all the time now because we're dog people, and her name is Zoe. I failed to mention that before, but we have a dog. Her name is Zoe, and that's what God's not talking about, like you love your little group. God's not talking about, well, you, ha you have a little bit of a bit. God is stretching it out so far. He's saying, I want you to love your brother. I want you to love everyone. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that we need to love our enemies. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, he says this, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Amen? So this is actually what it means to be that person that's following after God who's abounding in love. Now you're abounding in love and loving those around you even to that extent. And so we've got to love everyone. We've got to be increasing in love. And I believe that this is just, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Paul put it this way to the Galatians. He says it's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And so what we need to do in these last days is we just need to let the Holy Spirit do his work in us. We just need to let God do his work in us. Today is the day for God to do a new work in you. And if you'll open up your life right now, God will do a new work in you. And I believe that he wants to do it. This is so important for these last days. Now, I've been saying that these are the last days. And you say, well, how do you know these are the last days? Because Peter said, Peter said that these are the last days 2,000 years ago. In Acts chapter 22, uh, chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, he got up and preached a message. One of the things he said in this, that message is that this is what the prophet Joel said that would happen in the last days. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So it was, if it was the last days 2,000 years ago, guess what? It's the last days now because we're closer to God wrapping this whole thing up than we've ever been before. And I know that's one of those statements that like, duh right? <laughs> I've always said that. Preacher go, yeah, we're closer than we were yesterday. Well, yeah, no kidding, right? We are close. We are close to, to, to what God is doing in these days, and we want to be full of the Holy Spirit. We want to be full of his love. So Paul wraps it all up. He says, you're going to be blameless in love. You're going to be blameless in love. The writer of Hebrews says this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, ooh, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What's that? Stir up love in your life. Stir up love 
in the believers, in the church, in the household of faith. And so what Paul is saying to this church in Thessalonica, I want you to be unshaken. I don't want you to be shaken. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, as you see the day approaching, I want you to stir up love. And so both of the writers, and they may even be the same, and we're going to find out soon enough, right? But when we find out, we're going to know that both of those writers were telling us that the day was approaching and that we needed to be abounding in love and that we needed to stir that love up because God is closer now than ever, ever before. Amen? So I close with this. I close with this. Amen. James Bond may prefer his martinis shaken and not stirred, but God wants his people not shaken, but stirred. Not shaken in their faith in him and stirred up in their love for him and for everyone around us. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage you right now to be blessed and to put your whole faith in Christ and to allow the work of the Holy Spirit. I think this message today is about the Holy Spirit doing his work. Do not hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. Surrender to him right now, and he will come to you, and you will abound in love if you will put your trust in him.